0: Welcome to Episode 6 of the Fantasy Front Office Podcast for the week of May 8th, 2017. Joining me this week, as always, Keith, Phil, and Todd. We're going to kick off today's show with Mets pitching news again. Matt Harvey, are you guys feeling it's time to drop him, hold him, or trade him? Because uh, this suspension, it's a personality thing, it appears, and it's given rise to some trade rumors out there. Nobody specific, but that he's being shopped.
1: Matt Harvey is somebody that I was actually pumping up, and this is disappointing. He has pitched well in the outings that he knew he was supposed to pitch apparently more than an hour in advance, which, his last start. Apparently that's what happened and he got shelled the start that Syndergaard uh, got scratched from. Other than that, this is really disappointing. He just sounds very immature. He just needs to grow up. Maybe a change of scenery would be good for him just like Matt Kemp. I talked about that earlier.
2: The thing that I guess concerns me is he's got a 5.14 K per 9. He's not fooling anybody. So if we're not seeing the elite level strikeouts from him over 5 ERA, which I agree, that's probably inflated by that one start that he was kind of surprised by but if he's not going to strike anybody out I don't really see a point in rostering him I mean I'm not not going to drop him obviously I'm going to look to trade him but you're going to be trading low but I'm not buying high
3: yeah, for me, the 5'1 K per 9, that's just a very uh, scary stat.
1: Honestly, a lot of the the owners that do have Harvey are believers, though. They're people that drafted him rather high, so they're probably going to be the people that hold on to him. That would just be my thoughts. If I had him right now, I mean, I wouldn't be trading him. I wouldn't be dropping him. I would be holding on to see if he could reach that, you know, top 20 upside that I've seen in the past.
0: Yeah, but his K per 9 has been dropping drastically every season, and there's been... Lots of talk about discipline and conditioning, and he's been coming in each season heavier and heavier, and it's not adding up to the elite pitcher we know he could be. But, as has been stated, it's a little immature of him to just think he can come in and just pitch and collect a check.
1: He also gets, uh, gets pouty out there. Like, if a defender behind him makes an error, it snowballs into something bigger. I've seen it happen several times in the past where, let's say an outfielder makes an error, of Cespedes particularly I've seen it a couple of times and you know that snowballs into him just grooving a couple of pitches that just become home runs and then he's out of the game after giving up you know three or four earned runs but really seven or eight runs and the team is just screwed for the day
0: right personally I would be looking to get rid of him and see if you can get somebody who's willing to pay a little more than what he's actually worth at this point just based off of name recognition all right let's dive into our first topic of the evening ranking differences. Keith, you and Phil put together your ranking lists. Let's see where we differ. Any glaring spots for you two?
2: Alright, so we both worked on ranks this past week or so. Pretty tough, I think, for for both of us. I know I uh, was kind of banging my head against the wall at, at some point for outfielders and starting pitchers, but let's talk about some of the things where we have some of the differences between Phil and I. So the first one that I want to kind of highlight is a pretty big name. It's at first base, and it's Freddie Freeman. So on my ranks, I have Freeman as the fifth best first baseman and I believe Phil you have him as the second what do you like so much about Freeman that puts him at number two for you
1: honestly it's something where he's just his entire career been better than average there hasn't been a point in his career aside for the 20 games that he played when he was 20 years old that he wasn't an above average player and then he's had stretches like last year in the second half he was overshadowed by Votto he hit almost 400 in the second half of last year Votto hit over 400 last year in the second half which is why you didn't hear about freeman doing it he finished sixth in the mvp voting he's he's vato but with a little bit more power in my opinion and that's kind of why i would pick him over a couple of the other guys
2: so the guys that i have over him are
1: rizzo's one of them for sure
2: yeah so my first ba- base rankings go goldschmidt Rizzo Votto, Murphy, and Freeman. So it sounds like I'm down on Freeman, which I'm not. You know, I'm number five on my first base ranks. But if you look at my overall ranks, all these guys are in the top almost 20.
1: It's, really, so you it's have, really a coin flip.
2: I have him at number 23 in my overall ranks. And I even have Will Myers at number 25, Miguel Cabrera at number 26. So I have six first basemen, seven first basemen in the first 26 ranks. So the position is is really thick up top. And it's also got some guys that are uh, that are down there that are really producing right now as well. So that's not that I'm down on Freeman. I think everybody's heard me talk about the other guys at this point, Votto, Murphy. It's tough to rank these guys against each other, but there's one ranking difference.
1: Also keep in mind that there's only been basically one point in Freeman's career where he missed any significant amount of time. Every other year he's played around 150, 160 games, uh, played 162 games, even 2014. So he's capturing consistency as it comes to things like that.
2: What do you guys think about uh, Freeman?
1: For me, I would probably only have
3: Goldschmidt over Freeman. The season he's had just been outstanding, and he's done it year after year. And that Braves lineup's a little better this year, so he's getting more RBI opportunities. I I have Freeman as high as two.
2: And I'm curious to see how that park plays out. It seems like it's playing a little bit more towards an offensive park, so I'm curious to see what a full season will look like in there. All right, the next one I have on my list is Gene Segura. So in my second base ranks, I have Segura at 6, and Phil has him at 10. So I'll kind of jump off and, and explain why I'm so high on Segura. This was tough for me. I had to make it a point to move him above some guys at second base. So I just want to kind of quickly, I shared this on Twitter today, but he's on a tear the last 15 days, and what he's been doing the last 15 days is very similar to what he did last year. Obviously, these numbers are inflated because it's such a small sample size, but the last 15 days, he's been 22 for 55, he's got a 400 average, he's got a slug of 582 and an OPS over 1,000. In that time span, he's got 10 RBIs, 12 runs, 2 home runs, and 2 stolen bases. He was a a top 15 player, I think, last year in Roto ranks because of his steals, and was top 15 player in 2013 because of his steals in between that he had some really down years but i don't know why he can't do that again so i have him as my sixth overall second baseman what do you think on him uh phil
1: the reason that I have him where I do, which is 10th, is not because I don't like him, well I kind of don't, <laughs> mainly because I like the guys that are above him, and also because of what you said, is the two years that are sandwiched in between, even last year's OPS was only 867, which, I mean that's above average, but that's not anything to write home about. We'll talk about that a little bit later though. But his years before that were 616, 614, 752, 652, I don't know, he just wasn't anybody that ever really stood out to me other than the speed and he only had 44 stolen bases that one year he just kind of came out of nowhere with those home runs last year and the batting average came kind of out of nowhere last year so i just didn't really know what to exactly do with him so i i stuck him in the top 10, but I'm really not confident that he's going to stick around for that much longer.
2: Yeah, the, the one thing that he did a little bit better last year in Arizona was he was a little bit more selective at the plate. He walked a little bit more. Still pretty small sample size this year. doesn't seem like he's walking nearly as much, but he still continues to hit. So whatever adjustments he's made in an 87 at-bat sample this year is playing out very similar to what it did last year. So somebody to keep an eye on. You guys have any thoughts on Segura?
3: I think last year Segura, I mean, he really struggled towards the end of his tenure in milwaukee i think that last year it all started to click i think the 2016 segura is more something that would be sustained into 2017 so i would lean more toward keith's side
1: well see the thing about it is, but, is i mean you could you could put the number on it but then when you're looking at the guys that are actually between let's say six and ten i have trey turner jonathan vr uh matt carpenter and Jose Ramirez. I don't have Gene Segura ranked very low. Like I said, I just have other guys at second base that I would prefer over
2: him. Yeah, and the guys that I have below Segura, you know, so I have Segura at six, and then I have Villar, Kinsler, Ramirez, Carpenter, Odor. Uh, again, good guys to have. I mean, Jose Ramirez is on the rise. You could see him bump up a little bit. is still having a tough season. Kinsler's, you know, captain consistency and going to give you a ton of runs. But yeah, I'm I'm obviously high on Segura. I just think how valuable if he can steal. Third 35 or 40 bases and give you 17, 18, 19, 20 home runs. I think that's a really valuable person to have, especially when he's going to give you the the run production at the top of the lineup and his RBI totals last year were, were, we're pretty good. So I guess the guys that I'm down on are the guys that I don't see stealing bases. Uh, or the guys like D Gordon, they're going to steal bases but do nothing else. So it's nice to have a potential twenty twenty guy in your lineup. Alright, so the next guy I have on my list is Kyle Seager. So I have Seager at number 9 in third base, and Phil's got him at number 5. So let's take a look at that one. What makes you like Seager there, Phil?
1: Mainly, he's just consistent. He hits 25-30 home runs every single year. Bats 260-270 every Single year. You just know exactly what you're going to get. The least amount of games he's played is 155. The most he's played is 161. Most home runs is 30. The least is 20. I mean, he gets you 75 to 100 RBIs every year. He's just somebody that's there every single year and you don't have to worry about him falling off every other year like i know it's not third baseman but like chris davis or Mm -hmm. guys like that
2: and i guess the consistency for me is what's i guess a little bit boring i don't see really any stolen bases out of there he's not going to hit you you know more than 30 home runs his pace at this point it's really early but his pace at this point is you know probably closer to 18 or 20 home runs and if he's not going to he's getting a zero or a four or a five in the stolen base column you know and hit you 260 I just think there's a lot of other guys that I could put ahead of him. I tend to shy away from the guys that are going to give you zeros in in the stolen base category.
1: Well, they're also going to have, say, 170, 180 runs in RBIs uh, combined, you know, 25, maybe 20 home runs added with that with a 265 batting average in this baseball landscape, that's pretty valuable.
2: Yeah. The other thing I guess that I, the the knock on uh, Seager for me is it's taken 155, 160, 161, 158 games to get to the numbers that he has. And they're still, he's never had a hundred you know 100 runs never had a hundred rbis he was close last year 99 but it's taken almost playing every single game to barely get to those numbers where he's like a top seven eight third baseman so the margin for error isn't very large with him i guess is my my point yeah all right so the next guy i have on my list is Marcus stroman starting pitcher ranks is pretty tough and this may sound like a big gap but i have stroman at 31st overall and Phil has him at 17th. So Phil, I'll let you start since you're the high man on Stroman. What do you what do you like about Stroman?
1: I mean, he's also a guy has been pretty consistent. His his ground ball rate is something where it's at an elite level. He doesn't walk anybody. You're going to point out the strikeout rate, but I'm going to point <laughs> out the strikeout to walk rate, which is above, you know, league average. His FIP is always typically below his uh, actual ERA. So he's just semi been unlucky. He's, he's, well, he was on a good team, terrible team right now at this point, apparently. But I don't know. I just think that he's somebody that it's not that I wanted him to be in the top 20, because I actually didn't. I actually wanted him to be 25 ish. But it's just that the other guys that were just falling out like flies while I was doing the rankings everybody's injured right now. So there's just not another person that I want to be up there that I feel consistent and that's safe to me why I had to rank him where I did.
2: I agree. I guess part of it is bias on my opinion. If I can you know, admit that I, I haven't been a Strowman guy. He's had a good season. He had that one outing where he gave up five earned runs in three innings. Um, looks like he's doing okay. He's got a 3.89 ERA and a whip of 1.35, which isn't anything to be real excited about. This last nine innings, he struck out three batters and he's walked five. Now, I understand that's a small sample, and I'm picking from that, you know, one of those two games is where he got, you know, beat up pretty bad. And then the game before that, he went seven and one third, only gave up six hits and 10 strikeouts. But if you take away that one, that, one game with ten strikeouts. His strikeout rate is just abysmal. I mean, it's like five point something, six point something on the season. You're right. The reason why I'm a knock on Strowman is because it's it's the strikeout rate. So I need somebody that's going to strike some more batters out. Um, that when he does get in trouble and walk a few guys and you know give up a home run, it's not going to just completely burn him. So again, with the like we were talking about with the starting pitcher pool right now that continues to dwindle. You know, he's a guy that I would like on my team. He's just not a guy that I'm going to put in my top 15, probably. He
1: pitched six innings of no run ball tonight as well. But he, again, only one strikeout. So, I, I don't know. I just don't have a problem with guys not getting strikeouts because I mean, there's always Chris Davinsky or, you know, different relief pitchers on the waiver wire that if you need strikeouts, get them there. Get the good ratios and the wins, things like that. Yeah, Stroman. if you could, if you will, could match up yeah.
2: Strowman and like Vince Velasquez, maybe that would be a, a good combo where Velasquez is going to go four, hour, or four innings, strike out nine batters, but his whip's going to be like 1.9. So, he's kind of the reverse of that that right there all right so that's uh that's all i have for the uh the rank differences any uh any takeaway thoughts on any one of those guys uh jeremy and and todd no
0: not re- no <laughs> <laughs> not really stroman's not i i've never really had him on the radar he's never really intrigued me i mean even your selling points there phil i i i'm not sold on him there's still too much downside to him kind of roller coaster and i can't afford that on my squad i would pass.
2: Just an overall thought on putting ranks together. You know, I encourage you guys out there to just just take a, a few minutes and run through the first base ranks. You know, tweet at us, at FanFrontOffice, and let us know what your first base ranks are. You know, where do you, where do you rank Freddie Freeman compared to where Phil and I have? him? we'd love to hear from you guys and what your input is. That's probably my favorite part about the show at this point is, is communicating with all you guys. So, you know, make sure to, to share what your thoughts are with us, too.
0: Now on to our second topic. Phil, we're going to get a little nerdy here, and we're going to dive into the these Saber stats.
1: What I wanted to do is, I always talk about OPS and OPS Plus and things like that, so I wanted to kind of explain the difference between the two, kind of give you what is good for OPS and kind of what OPS plus just means in general. So an OPS is basically your on base plus your slugging percentage. It's it's a good number to kind of guesstimate how good a player is as a hitter. Anything above, let's say 710 is average for most years. Above 800 is above average, obviously. 900 is considered great and above uh, 1000 is considered excellent. And so when you convert that over into OPS plus, what they're trying to do is they're trying to adjust it for park factors and league factors so basically what they're trying to do is make everybody as even as possible they do it on a 100 point scale and so 100 is average anything above 100 let's say 110 if you have a ops plus of 110 then you're 10 percent better than an average player certain players like freddie freeman that we were just talking about this season is having an ops plus of 250 Team. So he's more than twice as good as an average player so far this year. That's just kind of how those numbers end up working. When you're looking at, let's say, a hitter, what is your go-to stat that you're like, okay, this is a guy that I'm looking to target versus a guy that, you know, maybe maybe he's fool's gold, somebody with home runs, but is just striking out all the time kind of thing.
2: One of the things that I look at, I guess, judging streaky hitters, especially guys that are off to big home run paces, um, I like to look at the home run to fly ball rate and see whether that is sustainable. What are they doing as far as you know ground ball, to fly ball? Is there any adjustments? You know, we talked a lot about Ryan Zimmerman and the adjustments that he's made. So I'm looking at some of those ratio stats to see you know are they are they walking at a, a better pace than they have been before? Are they striking out less than they have been before? I like to look at some of those ratio stats to see what they're doing as compared to their previous uh, previous years.
1: What about you, Todd? What are you thinking?
3: For me, when I see a player on the waiver wire that is on fire or on a streak, such as Aaron Hicks, who we'll talk about later. For me, I like to compare between the seasons. What he's done in the past is his walk rate, strike rate, uh, fly ball rate. Are they the same? Is it more fluky or are they better in a positive fashion? So for me personally, I just like to compare to the years and see the trends. And then there's not exactly one stat, but I would like to see a major change in his history. What are
1: you thinking about it, Jeremy?
0: Let's see. For hitting, I like to look at a combination of their exit velocity, the launch angle. I really like line drive hitters. If somebody's hitting 20 degree launch angle, that means they're hitting a lot of fly balls. Uh, It's probably in the the 12 to 17 range is ideal for me. That way I know they're getting decent contact and pretty good launch angle. And then I'll dig into their on base percentage and get a little nerdy into strikeouts to walk and kind of on, on that side of things.
1: That actually uh, kind of transitions me into the next portion of this. The OPS and the OPS Plus are the ones I kind of go to regularly and talk about on the podcast. One that I was looking at recently is weighted on base average or weighted on base average. WOBA. Um, Yeah, WOBA. So what that does is basically it's trying to give you a calculation of basically everything combined, which it sounds crazy. So instead of it being OPS plus, which weights slugging percentage and uh, on base percentage evenly, even though studies show that on-base percentage is actually more like 1.8% the value of slugging percentage. The number isn't really a good number, a judge of how good the player is, because it can be fluky depending upon if it, the guy has a high slugging percentage and a low bat or low on-base percentage. So what WOBA tries to do, like I said, is to account for each individual event weighted. So a triple is worth more than a double, is worth more than a single. Things like that happen. So the weird thing about this is, the calculations change every single year for how they actually calculate it depending upon how many doubles are hit each year and things like that so it's actually as jeremy was saying at the beginning pretty nerdy but a lot of people would prefer you to use that in lieu of ops or ops plus which are just kind of cheater stats they're just easy to grasp more in depth is going to be woba and weighted runs created and weighted runs created plus which is going to be kind of similar to ops and op PS Plus. They're they're just trying to adjust for everything, including park factors, things like that. So, that was me talking a little bit about the different Saber stats and different things like that, so that when we do mention them on the podcast, some of you may not necessarily know as much about it. You won't have to do as much Googling, uh, hopefully, after the podcast or during it. Yeah,
0: we'll just refer you back to episode 6. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's dig into the mailbag. We've got some some good questions here, guys. William McCroy, he asks, who will have the better year overall, Diaz or Addison Russell?
2: I have them uh, back-to-back in my rankings. Diaz at 10 and Russell at 11. Both kind of younger guys. Had uh, pretty good performances last year. Diaz was out of his mind for the first 60 games of the season or 90 games that he was up. What do you see from, you know, Phil being a Cardinals fan, what do you see from him this year that you like or don't like?
1: Well, the thing about it is is I think a lot of people forget it, the Diaz was on a tear last year around about the same time Trevor story was, and he was in consideration for being rookie of the year before Corey Seager had gotten called up, became a monster that he was. But the thing was, is that they both got injured with hand injuries around about the same time in the middle of the year. And it stunted both of their seasons. Diaz actually played a little more a little bit more after that injury story did not so I personally maybe it's because of Cardinals bias maybe it's because I actually watched Diaz play but as a hitter Diaz is a damn good player he sucks as a defender that's no doubt he needs to be a third baseman (laughs) or second baseman (laughs) but the kid can hit and I I honestly as far as an overall shortstop I would probably take Addison Russell but we're talking about fantasy baseball and I would definitely take Ledmus Diaz over Addison Russell for now. Diaz
3: is is a guy. He doesn't walk much, but he is a great hitter. The thing that bugs me of Russell is that he's a 235-240 hitter. So you're banking on just the home runs and RBIs, which he produced last year. I think Diaz has a better overall game that will help your fantasy team.
2: Yeah, and I'm worried about where Russell hits in that lineup. They have so much talent that it, it kind of naturally pushes him down to like the 6-7 hole, depending upon who's in that day. And that does kind of hurt his counting numbers. Um, it hurts his runs, his RBIs, and I think we've talked about it enough. There's a bunch of guys in baseball that are going to hit you 22 to 28 home runs this year. So you need something else along with those 25 home runs including those county numbers or some steals. So um, I would take Diaz as well over uh, Russell.
1: The other thing about Diaz is, is you just actually mentioned it and I forgot to even bring it up is that he hits second in the order in a lineup that it's not the greatest but it's not a bad lineup. You got Dexter Fowler leading off you got Matt Carpenter, Steven Piscotty a couple of guys are pretty decent hitters in that lineup so where he's hit hitting is is actually a big
2: deal. Yeah, I agree. And that's part of what moves the needle for me, for Diaz, as it does for Russell, is where he's hitting in that lineup. It's going to set him up to be driven in more, set him up for a little bit more RBIs, uh, just coming around the lineup more often. So yeah, I I would take him uh, at this point.
0: On to question number two. This one comes in from Tim Lane, and he asks, is Marwin Gonzalez worth owning in a very deep league, given his recent success and his manager's comments?
2: All right, so I put in a pretty desperate fab bid for Gonzalez last night in a league where I didn't have a third baseman, which may sound crazy, but I ended up trading my third baseman. I'm kind of in a little bit of a, a rebuild. I ended up trading for Ahmed Rosario, and so I didn't have a third baseman, so I put in kind of a, a high fab bid. I bid $14 and ended up winning him. Little did I know that the next highest fab purchase would have been for a dollar. so, you know, wah-wah. I ended up trading 13, $13 more, but I got the guy that I wanted, and I still have like 70 bucks to spend in that league, so it was enough for me to take a flyer on him and see see what he can do that that lineup is ridiculous and they they still have more guys to add to it um, you know I'm a little bit higher on AJ Reed than than some guys are and my thought is that if Duvall can do it if Gallo can do it if Aaron Judge can do it maybe AJ Reed can can be the same thing so I think that lineup is going to help secure him some uh, some additional bats and to me it's just the playing time whether or not he gets enough playing time to succeed
1: the thing about Marwin Gonzalez is, is he's he's had a little power here and there but I don't think that it's anything that's going to be sustainable To specifically answer this question, it asks about owning someone in a very deep league. Anyone that's even remotely successful in the last two weeks, pick them up, ride the hot bat, ride the hot pitcher, dump them, pick up the next guy. That's how that's how deeper leagues work, in my opinion. There's maybe three or four spots at the end of my bench that are specifically for me dumping players and picking up another guy. So to answer that part of your question, I would say yes. I don't think as as Keith said, I mean, he was desperate. He needed, you know, Marwin Gonzalez. So he put fourteen dollars in the next closest was one dollar. <laughs> and, 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 I, I, and I'm not. There's probably not going to be that much more attention to him other than this week because of what he just did over the last few days. That's that's just the way that I look at him over his career.
3: I love his position eligibility: first, third, and outfield. Most leagues, even some short. I think in Yahoo, he's totally worth adding if you're in a deeper league. I don't know how sustainable his uh, power stretch really is. Yeah, he's got a
2: career on base of uh, what is it, 302 career slug of 402, and then OPS of 704. So it's nothing that you know is going to wow you at this point. point nine home runs and 70 plate appearances needs to be added just to see what if what's going to happen if aaron judge can do what he's doing i mean who knows what warwin gonzalez is capable of
0: and if you're going to do it you better get in now because he jumped 51 percent ownership in the last two weeks
3: and especially in a deep league i mean yeah. why not yeah, definitely deep league.
2: Well, and the, like you were saying, Todd, the position flexibility in a deep league is extremely yeah. valuable because you don't know who the next hot guy is that you're going to pick up. And if you have Gonzalez, you can flex him from, you know, outfield to infield, move him around in the corners. You can do all kinds of things, even if he's not producing at half the rate that he's doing right now. Just having the flexibility of somebody that's going to get 400 at bats potentially this year is extremely valuable. So even if he doesn't have the same output that you thought he might, the flexibility is going to help the rest of the season.
0: Next question. With a little Arizona flair here, J-Dub asks, <laughs> Chris Owings, is he an April phenom flameout or the 2017 breakout? Okay, I'll
3: take it. <laughs> I think Chris Owings is for real. He's a guy who in the minors tore it up, and then he tore his rotator cuff, and that just seemed to set him back nearly two years. But he's finally healthy. He's getting every day at bats, whether it's at short or in right field. He's a guy who could steal maybe 30 bases this year. He has a little bit of pop, but maybe a 10 10-15 guy, but I love Chris Owings this year. I think he's for real.
2: One of the interesting things that I've heard on him is some of the other players in that clubhouse think that he's the best athlete on the team. And you got other guys like AJ Pollock, Paul Goldschmidt's an extreme athlete for his size, and to hear he's regarded as the best athlete on the team, for me, kind of speaks volumes. So there's another stat that I put out, I think it was about four or five days ago, there was only four players with five plus steals and a slug over 500. Those four players are Paul Goldschmidt, Mike Trout, Trey Turner, and Chris Owings. So obviously he's not going to continue at a pace that he is right now but again, he's one of those guys that's got enough pop to give you 18 home runs and like you were saying, Todd, if he steals you 30 bases, that's pretty valuable.
1: The only reason Trey Turner's slug is that high is because of his series and cores. Everything else, he's been miserable. Huh. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I had had to throw that quick jab in there. The thing about Chris Owings is is that the humidor, I, you guys are from out there, is this a real thing? Is this coming? Because if it is, then I'm afraid of everyone, basically, except Goldschmidt. At that point, Jake Lamb. You know, they estimate forty percent home run decrease. That's a big decline in home runs.
2: I don't know about forty percent. I don't know if there's
1: anything that's the number that I heard. Correct. Forty percent. That is
0: the stat. It's thirty-five to forty percent decrease. Which, I mean, in the heat of summer, balls really go to fly here. So uh, it's coming. They
3: are building it. I believe it. It wouldn't go into play until next year. They'd
1: want to start the year and then So
3: it's
2: 20 I've,
1: I've,
2: I've heard that it actually is coming in this season. They're going to put yeah, it in I, midseason. I heard,
1: I, that's yeah. what I heard, too, is that it, oh. it's, it's coming, and then it's going to be basically after the All-Star break is what they're hoping for. Right. And then at that point, you know, the the game is, is a, a complete difference uh, from what it was at the beginning of the year. So if you have guys like that, ride the hot bat and then try to dump them before that happens. Because if that's actually happening and it is, you know, 30, I don't, I don't, I'm not a scientist. I didn't do the numbers, but (laughs) that's what the scientists said. (laughs) It's <laughs> 35 to 40% less home runs are going to happen. And I'm pretty sure that they did their math. So
2: that pretty much makes uh Taiwan Walker like a top 10 starter then, right?
0: <laughs> Might make Grinky like a uh, top 20 again.
1: That's the guy that I was thinking. But apparently I was listening to a different podcast. I forget exactly which one it was, but they were talking about this a while ago. And Grinky doesn't give up long fly balls as often as you would think. So it's not actually going to help him as much as it's going to hurt the offense is what they they dug deep into the numbers
2: 30 percent seems like a really high number i know coors also has a humidor and what i heard is it only suppressed 16 home runs total last year or something like that don't hold me to that number exactly but i heard that it wasn't suppressing as many home runs as they projected so i'm actually gonna wait and see
1: but my question is is how would they know that because all it does is, is it makes the balls to where they don't bounce off the, the bat as far. How, how are they projecting?
2: Science, man.
1: <laughs> I, I guess that's true, but I, I just, I don't know. I think it's a lost, a lost cause to try to do a projection after you've already you know, did it and then try to revert yeah. back the backwards way. But I don't know. Maybe maybe they're smarter than me. My brain's just not wrapping around it. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so we went off into a way long tangent on this one because I am concerned with the humidor, and that would be something that I would want to kind of get away from. If
2: All right, re- real quick, just since we, we spent the last probably five or six minutes on it, Let's go around the horn, and on a scale of 1 to 10, I want everybody to tell me what level of concern they are with the humidor. Phil, what's your concern, obviously?
1: i go with an 8 or a 9, 8.5, I guess.
2: Todd, where are you at?
1: I'd do like a five or a six, like mildly. But Jeremy, are we talking specifically Chris
0: Owings here, or just an overall... overall
3: overall overall as far as
0: home run
2: suppression, power suppression?
0: Oh, I I'm not worried that it's going to. I know it will. And
2: <laughs> sorry, so is that like a twelve? What, what is uh, that?
0: That's uh, my worry meter's only at like three just because i know it's going to happen so you just plan accordingly
2: all right you're, you're yeah. skewing my numbers here all yeah. right so i'm gonna go, <laughs> i'm gonna go with like a i'm gonna go with a four so out of everybody i think i'm the least concerned i want to see what it does over time i don't think that in season this year or in dynasty i'm gonna make any drastic moves before I can see what it does, at least over the second half. You'll have a good sample, you know, All-Star break this year, prior to the All-Star break, and then after the All-Star break. If that's when they put it in, you'll be able to see at the end of the year what it does to some of the Arizona hitters. But I'm not going to make any in-season adjustments at this point.
0: (laughs) I broke the seal. All right. Well, let's go to our last mailbag question. This one comes in from George Bissell. And he's asking if we can somehow explain the emergence of one Aaron Hicks. He's given up trying to figure
1: it out. Keith is the uh, aficionado on the uh, Aaron Hicks train. so. Let's... All right.
2: So I, sp- I spent some time on Aaron Hicks today. I created a nice, pretty spreadsheet. I compared 2006, 2017 numbers against his career. And probably like George, I got a whole lot of nowhere for a while. And then what I finally saw was that his slug is drastically different, you know, this year compared to what his career is. So his career slug is well, like 363. Is that right? And he's slugging 662 this year. So the one thing that I can find that he's doing better than he's done over his career is he's walking more and he's striking out less. He's seeing more pitches. He seems to be putting himself in better counts that he can take advantage of some of the situations. So he's got six home runs on the season. But when I started digging into who he hit those home runs off of, and the distance of those home runs. That's where I actually started to find out what, you know, what was going on. The stat that I they tweeted out recently was, so this season there has been 1086 home runs hit. Only 6 of those home runs are less than 340 feet in distance. Aaron Hicks owns two of those six home runs, and the other four are kind of cheater home runs as well. They're not very far. I don't think he has a home run over 380 feet. So those kind of cheap home runs are inflating his slug, his home run to fly ball rate is is insane basically what i'm saying is i'm not buying into what he's doing i think those cheap home runs are inflating his a lot of his other stats and i don't think it's something that's going to be sustainable you like what he's doing as far as being more selective, he's walking at a much higher rate, almost double than what his career is, and he's striking out at a career low. Those are all good things, but I don't think the power up output based on his exit velocity was one of the other things I looked into. His exit velocity last year, according to, to X stats, .org, which is an awesome website by the way was like 95 last year which is it, it's not not good and this year
0: wait hold on hold on 95 that's really good
2: 95
0: exit no, it's velocity
2: not. no no average exit velocity of 95 is is not good like you're talking like 100 is 103 is elite 100 is good. 90 something is is, is all right. 95 Wait, is okay. On.
0: We're we're on a different scale here because the MLB average is 87.7. Yeah. Okay.
2: Okay. 95 was his 2016 exit velocity. This year, where he's hit a unsustainable home run pace, his exit velocity in a small sample size is 80.
0: That's not so, what MLB is saying off a of Statcast. They're saying he's sitting at 88, which is just above average. His launch angle is about 14 degrees. So I mean he. He's right at the major league average.
2: Yeah, but 88, even even according to StatCast, which is, wasn't where I was looking, I was looking at xstats.org, so they probably don't have the same amount of batted ball averages or events. The StatCast does, but even at 88, that's that's not good. 88, based on the small sample of home runs that he's hit at this point, you would expect that number to be much higher.
0: Well, not necessarily, because, I mean, he's getting at bats like every other game. He's only started 17 games out of the 33, 34
2: yeah, and and I, I take it back it wasn't it wasn't 95 my, my numbers were were goofy so 93 is elite 90 is is really good what he's doing up to this point at 88 even i don't think that's i would i'd want to see him higher in what that exit velocity is i don't think what he's doing is sustainable is is my thing
1: so, so you're telling me he's not going to end the season with a 7-10 slogging percentage
2: well yeah basically that's what i'm telling you
1: <laughs> All right. All right. i'll take i'll take the under on that one too Um, so the thing that interests me the most about Aaron Hicks and, and not to just go off on a tangent again, I mean, he does get stolen bases and a little bit of pop, uh, now that he potentially looks like he has an everyday spot in the lineup the last several games. I mean, he's been doing very well, three stolen bases in the last four games, um, multi runs in the last three games, home run in there. So he's, he's been doing very well the last few games. I don't see why they would take him out of the lineup right now. He's he's another guy that, as I was saying earlier, you ride the hot bat. Once it cools off for, let's say, a week, you dump it and you pick up a different what one. What do
2: you guys think the over-under is on at-bats for him this year? Because that's one of my concerns as well.
1: Where's he at right now? Uh, 68. 68? Before tonight. 350? Is which... that somebody
2: you can pencil in in most no. leagues?
1: No, I don't, I'm not I'm disagreeing with that. I'm just... I would say just ride the hot bat. He's he's a guy like Alvisel Garcia. We to, we said dump him. We and you did. Said dump him uh, two weeks ago when we did our podcast then. Forget exactly what episode it was. I think it was episode three. You know what he's done in May so far? He's at a 277 slugging percentage. <laughs> I mean, it's something where people show their true colors eventually. Alvisel Garcia had an amazing month. Maybe we told you, you know, don't pick him up and, and you lost out on a, a couple of good weeks. But also, you know, now you're going to pick him up and probably have a couple of bad weeks. So
2: I think the outfield, although it's, not one that's performed real well up until maybe recently. I just don't know if there's enough room in that outfield to give him more than, like we said, like 350 at-bats. And you still have Clint Frazier, who's kind of looming. I don't know at what point he'll be up this year. He's not somebody that's kind of trending as a as a call up here in June, but you know, if push comes to shove, I could see them calling him up. He's probably pretty close.
1: I don't see any need for them to call him or Torres up at this point. I, I think that they're both going to be somebody that maybe best case scenario, they get a September call up and and get a cup of coffee and, and mlb but i don't see either one of them actually making an impact this year i mean they're not in the way and i think it's everybody else that's in the way you know they have uh ellsbury gardner who's that who's that other kid that uh what, what's his name um i think aaron, it's aaron aaron,
2: aaron, aaron Juge,
1: judge, Juge, judge judge yeah, yeah. that guy yeah, that's like nine, nine foot tall
2: um, <laughs> I and he's like, to get a baseball.
1: What's the guy on uh, MLB Network always say about Mike Morris? Me, me, Mike Morse, me hit ball hard. That guy looks like he's a caveman. That's, that's who I would want to take with me into battle is, is all I'm saying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and granted, I mean, he, Hicks is the fourth outfielder on that squad granted you're getting up there in age between Gardner and Ellsbury. And it's not a matter of when, but if injuries will bite them. And that's where he's gotten a lot of his at bats already has been 10 day DL trips. I mean, you take your at bats 10 days at a time, I guess, but he's producing at this point.
1: Also, he's been facing a lot of lefties because Gardner and Ellsbury are both lefties. They're trying to fit, you know, Hicks into the lineup as a right-handed bat. So,
0: well, he's actually a switch hitter. So,
1: oh. Oh, right, 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 right. I mean, he he gets the bat right against right. lefties. Is is my point. What they're what they're trying to do is is trying to get Ellsbury and Garner both don't do very well against lefties. Ellsbury even worse, uh, the last few years. So, I would try to get him out of there against lefties. And then um, I believe Hicks actually hits very well against lefties. So.
0: Well, that's our best explanation for Aaron Hicks. And on to our third and final topic tonight, Todd, the next most added players that are on the fantasy horizon
3: so in this segment what we're going to try to do is predict the players that will be hot ads in a week so we're trying to beat the trend essentially and the first name we have is outfielder tommy fam he had a game-winning homer this weekend uh, three total home runs already and in the minors and triple a he had four homers 19 rbis with 283 average he has been up and down for i believe two years now getting time with the cardinals but he's 2% owned. what do you guys think of Tommy Pham
1: what's good (laughs) Pham no that's that's one of the jokes that runs around St. Louis uh he's he's a guy that always had you know at least league league average hitting even though uh his batting average was low last year he did you know enough uh home runs and and doubles and things like that to even you know consider himself league average as far as OPS plus is concerned He's got pop. That's the one thing to watch for. The other thing to watch for is the massive hole in his bat. That apparently hasn't been found for the first three games of the season so far. I would definitely, I would, as as the kind of the theme of the night, pick him up, ride him while he's hot, and drop him, and then drop it like it's hot.
2: And he's definitely hot. I, I ran into some minor league stats this past week. I looked at players that had like over a 500 slug and more than five steals, and here's a list of some of those players: Ahmed Rosario, Juan Perez, Juan uh, moncada Lane Adams, Catel Marte, Remy Tapia. Cody Bellinger, and then Tommy Pham was on that list as well. So he's been doing everything that you want to see in the Major League level in the minors this year in AAA, and when he got brought up, he's been doing that same thing here at the Major League level. So he's somebody that I think that could have a little bit of spark to him. Um, if he's going to get enough at-bats, which uh, you know I'm going to lean on Phil on what his at-bat he's bat totals, he's not going to?
1: No. The thing is, is that I don't think Dexter Fowler or uh, Steven Piscotty's injuries are that bad. So they... They needed two outfielders to come up. Two outfielders came up. Tommy Pham was one of them. He wasn't even their fourth outfield. They have a kid that tore up spring training this year, Jose uh, Jose Martinez, yep. that that he's done you know, serviceable as the fourth outfielder, maybe a backup first baseman. They're probably going to send Pham back down after uh, Dexter Fowler and Piscotti come back up. But like I said, for now, ride him while he's hot, because if, if pitchers give him a fastball, he's going to hit it. He hits the ball far. But when pitchers give him that little bit of a wrinkle, he's, he's not very great.
3: All right. Now, my second guy, he's a little higher owned than the rest of the names on this list, and he's starting to get picked up at a good rate, but at only 23% owned. Yonder Alonzo, a guy we talked about two weeks ago, nine homers, 311 bang average, 24 RBIs. What do you guys think of Alonzo? Uh-
1: he's Keith's Flyball Revolution. Tell him, preach.
2: I think if he was a guy that you listened to us a couple weeks ago, you probably got in and got a really good two weeks. So probably one one of the hopefully many success stories of the season. We talked about it. Looks like the adjustments he's made has definitely resulted in a power output, and he's having a heck of a start to the season. We talked about it two weeks ago probably not at these pace numbers, but everything that I saw was sustainable by him, just probably not at an elite level like some of the other guys that we talked about. So, uh, if you want to go back and, and catch more on that, catch uh, what episode was that? Episode 4, Flyball yeah. Revolution, he was one of the guys we talked about, so you you know I'm a believer.
3: He's a guy I had to put on a little list. I, I mean, I was shocked that he's only 23% owned right now on ESPN.
2: And that's a recent development, too. That's probably about yeah. five, 15% of that's probably in the last, like, you know, 7 or 10 days. So,
1: a fantasy owner are fickle creatures and most of us have been around for a while and most of us have been burned by you know <laughs> yonder alonzo when he first came up as a top prospect and they thought he was going to do this eight years ago he didn't do this eight years ago so now you can see why some people are skeptical and and slow to catch on but you know right now if you're looking at the ops numbers that i was talking about earlier over 1, a thousand is elite. He's got 1,053 right now. That's his OPS. He's he's one of the few people that you pull the OPS leaderboard up right now, and you're going to look at it and be like, how the hell is he on? You, you just have to take notice of it right now because if you don't, someone else is going to snag him, and then you're going to watch him hit 25, 30 home runs on their team whenever you could have got him for free.
3: The third guy on my list, he's at 1% owned, and we – Sort of talked about him last week with our bullpen segment, but Alex Wilson for the Detroit Tigers. Now Francisco Rodriguez blew his fourth save of the season on Sunday. So as this job looks a little bit more to be in jeopardy, Alex Wilson could be the guy who comes in and fills that role, could be a saves guy to look at. What do you guys think of Alex Wilson?
1: So you're telling me that Francisco Rodriguez uh, blew a save? Color me surprised. (laughs) <laughs> um, we, 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 did talk about this last week and I think we were all in agreement, or we were, I think 50, 50 split. Um, some of us wanted to stay away from the bullpen. Yeah. Some of us, uh, were all in on Alex Wilson. Um, at right now, now that I know that he's the guy, I would probably invest more than I would have, let's say last, than last week, because I know that he's probably going to be the guy. Francisco Rodriguez will probably take it back in three weeks when, you know, uh, Alex Wilson blows one save and and that's just how the world's going to keep turning. So I, I'm done talking about Francisco Rodriguez. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> what, do, what do you think, Keith?
2: I'm still staying away. I, not that I'm a believer in, you know, K-Rod, but I don't think that... Uh... That we know exactly who it's going to be in that bullpen. So for me, I'm just going to steer steer clear for a little bit. I think there's other other places, you know, Matt Bush or or some other people that you could probably pick up that uh, that I'd rather own than than somebody in that bullpen right now.
3: Now the final couple of guys on our list, they are actually prospects. And the first name we'll start with is New York Mets Triple H shortstop Ahmed Rosario. What do you guys think of him?
2: So Rosario is an interesting guy. He was considered probably a glove first guy. Up until about halfway point in last year when he started to turn things on offensively. Um, what he's done in the last, i guess last half of this year, and then early early in the season so far, uh, is put him at uh, you know a pretty good offensive clip. So he's not got big monstrous home run numbers yet, but he's got 9 doubles this year and 114 at bats, one home run. He's slugging, you know, right at 500 and he's got an OPS of 925. At the same time, he's got 7 steals and he's hitting 377 with an on base of 425. He's he's putting up really good numbers for not having, you know, three or four home runs. He's just got a couple uh, a couple doubles that's uh, that's really helping his slug. So um he's a guy that I think I'm more excited about today than I definitely was six months ago. He's at the top of, of some list. I think Keith Law's got him as the number one prospect overall. And the Mets of any team could probably use a little bit of a boost right now with all the injuries they have going on. I think he's probably one of my top five people to stash at this point. He's probably at the end of that top five, but he's still somebody that I think is is closer than some of these other guys.
1: Now <laughs> the thing to keep in mind, not to rein anyone's parade. Now he does have a three four five slash line, which a lot of people actually look for, myself included, which is a 300 batting average, uh, at least a 400 on base percentage, and at least a 500 slugging percentage. Keep in mind, that's in the Pacific Coast League, so that's something where that those stats are automatically inflated because of that. And not only that, he plays in Las Vegas, which double kind of inflates the numbers because that park itself is also another park that inflates numbers. So, oh, even, right, first- even though he doesn't have any, he, he only has one home run, He's got a bunch of doubles, but just just to keep that in mind that it is something where he probably isn't going to hit 300. I would say 280-ish would be the, the over-under that I would set, and maybe a 360 on base percentage.
2: So what you're saying is you're not going to rain on my parade, and then you're going to rain on my parade?
1: All over <laughs> All over it. It's all good. No, and to, to your point, now, I've been fooled before. So when Lindor came up, I thought that he was going to be glove-only, and, and he came up and has obviously just destroyed all my hopes and dreams of ever being a scout. Um, so <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. He just basically, Ahmed Rosario, came out of nowhere last year, um, bat 257 in 2015. Last year he comes out and, and bats – 324 this year he's almost batting 400 but it's again the pacific coast league so temper your expectations just slightly go with what keith said because keith's a smart guy
3: next up on our list Milwaukee Brewers outfielder and Keith's guy, Lewis Brinson, currently is hitting three twenty <laughs> four stolen bases in the minors with four homers. Keith
1: can't have all the guys, can I? Have yeah, Lewis come Brinson? on. You, I mean, you uh, can. Brinson. You can
2: have you can have Brinson. I mean, I, I have Brinson currently, and you can't have him, but you can have him on the podcast.
1: <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. You just that was a verbal agreement. You that just was a told verbal me that I trade could have. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like that we're all in agreement that Lewis Brinson is now my property. Commissioner, hand him over. But Brinson's a guy that he's going to come up sooner rather than later, and he's going to dominate. The only reason that they're holding him down, well, one, because Keon I actually started hitting, and I believe it's pretty close to Super Two status at this point. And two, uh, because of the Super Two status. So once they pass that day for sure in their projections, I see him getting a call up. Whether they have to put Braun somewhere else in the diamond, maybe third base again, I don't. I don't know what. I don't know what they'll end up doing. All I know is, is that they're going to find a way to get Lewis Brinson in the lineup with how he's hitting the ball.
0: Yeah, they're more likely to trade Braun than to uh, put him anywhere else. I think.
1: It, did, did we already talk about how there's the the weird clause in his contract? That's uh, that's um, what I was
0: just going to
2: bring yeah, up. Yeah, now they coming up on that deadline
1: yeah, he has to be traded by a certain point or else he has the 3-4-5 the status or the, the no 5-10 the status. Um, five years on the same team, 10 years in the league. And so once he passes that, that deadline, he has the right to veto any trade um, without it being actually written in his contract. I think that they'll get a deal done before that day because why do they want him around when they have this kid making nothing in the minors? Amen to that. I'll- Also Pacific Coast League. Sorry to rain on your parade again. (laughs) (laughs) One other thing to keep in mind with him is is that he does have uh, four uh, caught stealings with the four stolen bases that he has.
0: On to the last name, Bradley Zimmer. All
3: right, final name on our list, Cleveland Indians minor league outfielder Bradley Zimmer. Now he is hitting .255 right now in the minors, but has three home runs. What do you guys think of Zimmer?
0: He's kind of knocking on the door there in Cleveland. I don't think they're eager to bring him up, but he's knocking.
1: He is a hitter that is probably not going to have the best average uh, I would think I would put a comp of let's see maybe Gregory Polanco maybe 280 batting average mid-teens to capping out at mid-20s home runs and then let's say potential of 40 to 50 stolen bases that's something that you don't really see very often come through so i would try to stash him if you have a chance to yeah
2: he's one of five players i think that i'm most excited about stashing you're probably not stashing you know any one of any more than like one or two of these guys in your standard leagues if any Uh, I think probably 270 is a little bit generous on the batting average. I think you may see closer to like 240, 250 in in the beginning until he kind of makes adjustments. But in on-base percentage leagues, he's a guy that does take a lot of walks, uh, but he's striking out quite a bit in in AAA. Again, nothing that's going to scare us away too much. He's an elite-level center fielder, so he's going to stay on the field um, when given the opportunity. He's going to steal bases. He's going to do everything that team wants him to do. So once he does come up, he's going to he's going to stick for sure.
0: That'll wrap up this week's show guys where can the people find you i
1: think keith and i alluded to it already earlier in the show uh, or more than alluded to it actually discussed it uh our rankings i have my positional rankings that are going to be coming out here in a second uh keith i believe already has his top 250 and positional rankings on the line score trying to get mine over there as quick as possible been pretty tough kind of putting everything together i have the positions done so i'm gonna try to get that out to you guys as quick as possible
2: and keep the uh keep the questions coming to us We'll put out a little tweet every Monday to kind of get some mailbag stuff. You guys have been really good to respond to those. Give a follow to, to everybody here in the in the front office. Um, you can find me at fantasy underscore Keith. What are the rest of your guys' handles?
1: I'm uh, at the Baseball Jedi. And you can find me at Goldie Happens. I am at Front Office
0: Jer. And, of course, follow the podcast page at Fan Front Office. And until next week, we have been the Fantasy Front Office.